people in power will give you a pat on the back. And that's what I wanted. So I conditioned myself to receive the praise because I was walking from a deficit. But what do you do when the, the, the praise you want is also poison to your system? Welcome to You Better, a show about personal discovery and love. I'm your host, Keisha Garrison, and I'm on that journey of knowing and loving who I really am every day, just like you. I want you to come face to face with yourself and be proud of what you see. My friend, it's time to do better. It's time to you better. Now let's get to it. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of You Better. As always, I'm so pleased to be with you and grateful for the time that we're going to spend together learning from the life of another fascinated human being. Now, the original air date of this episode is right on the heels of news that the United States Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade, the landmark ruling that established the constitutional right to abortion. It would feel strange to me to not share a few thoughts on this before heading into business as usual. I won't go too long, but I will just say I am seeing so many people exasperated and angrily pointing out the contradictions right now, wondering how can politicians justify this? How can they proceed when there's so much evidence that this action will actually lead to more death, not less? How can they proceed with talking points about preserving life when none of the policies they endorse ever attempt to feed, clothe, house, support, or in any way protect the lives of children that they are forcing to be born. I get it. It makes no sense and it seems unacceptable. But once you truly educate yourself about how systems of oppression work, you will unfortunately learn that the death is not just an acceptable outcome, it is the desired outcome and that the poverty and the intense struggle created in these situations are necessary to maintain a bottom rung on the ladder, on the hierarchy for the ruling class to sit atop. Certain people are supposed to die by design. And it's a hard thing to accept. You wanna think that there's some logical failing and that they haven't accounted for something or they're blinded by religious zealotry and that it's not actually that certain people are part of a plan, planned to die. So I share that and I say, if you think I'm only referring to patriarchy, think again. If you don't understand how white supremacy works, you will continue to be confused by so many things that happen in our society. You won't ever understand how you come to play in the system. Some people refuse to even say those words out loud. It's like Voldemort or Candyman or something. But I challenge you to dig deeper than what you think white supremacy is and learn about how it works as a system and how it is at play in your life such that we land in places like this Supreme Court decision. It is critical. Because if you are too scared to even say the name of your opponent, it is very doubtful that you will ever learn how to defeat them. Okay, now on to this week's interview with a gentleman who definitely does his homework and is a big time student of history. 
Bobby Morgan, is a dynamic educator living and leading in New Jersey. I came to find myself in community with Bobby through social media and have admired his thoughtfulness and the way that he makes a point to support and highlight the work of Black women at all times. Bobby is the founder of Liberation Lab, an educational consulting firm to build pathways of internal and external accountability. I spoke with Bobby on Father's Day, which coincided with Juneteenth this year, and the result is a deeply personal conversation about some of the feelings that these holidays stirred in him and about how he goes about deepening his understanding of history and making an impact in healthier ways than he did in his past. So let's get into it. Let's learn from the life of Bobby Morgan. Thank you for joining me. Oh, you better. Uh, it is a complete honor. When when I got the, the notification, I was totally fanboying out <laughs> yes. yes stop so it i love it so Aww. happy i appreciate you uh so for for everybody who hasn't been uh minding your business on the internet or mm -hmm. who hasn't had the experience of being in one of your classrooms or in your neighborhood can mm -hmm. you share with me who are you today bobby I am a husband. I am a father, uh, husband of one, father of two. I am a black man in these yet to be United States of America. Um, I am an educator, a leader, um, and my goal is just to to inspire as many people as possible to get in this fight for liberation for black folks, for brown and black folks. Um, and I do that by way of education. And so, uh, yeah, that's who I am today. Okay. When you think about that description, father to black man, educator, inspiring people to get in the fight for liberation, it's powerful. Um, what do you think that you in middle school, would think of, of that description that that's where we, that's where we ended up. So I think that me in middle school would be surprised. The reason I think that is in middle school, I was dealing with a, a lot of identity issues. Hmm. And so I saw myself through, um, the things that weighed me down. So, fatherless, you know, home, single parent household. I was striving for what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to to actually stand on my own two feet? I don't I don't know. So I, I failed miserably <laughs> at all these shallow attempts at it. And so I think me in middle school would be surprised, relieved. Um and I also think that me in middle school would probably be um, happy, mm. you know, being a, being the father that I never had has always been a dream. And so even on the days where they are tap dancing on my last nerve, <laughs> I remember that every day I get the opportunity to be what I never had. So, yeah. yeah. So on the day that we are recording this is actually father's day. So yeah. it's special that we start out speaking in this way. Um, this day can be a little fraught then. I mean, you come to a place where you are 
a dad and you're doing the dad thing, but you also are a person who's processing what that has been like for you to not have that role and uh, social media feeds streaming with all of these examples of people celebrating having something that you wanted when you were younger. What, what is that process of making peace with that look like for you? Um, so, you know, growing up, I had my experiences with, with fatherhood was just, I, even though I had like dad by committee, Mm. like my grandfather, my godfather, my uncle, they all kind of took various roles in helping me, um, and guiding me, you know, I had one conversation with my father when I was five. And in that conversation, you know, I just told him that I missed him and I couldn't wait to see him because I just believed, you know, and um, told him I loved him and he could not say it back. Mm. I found out later that he had a conversation with my mother and when they split and said that he wanted nothing to do with her or me. And I can say based off of that information that he has been a man of his word. And so when I arrived to Father's Day, it has come through a bunch of tears, right? Um, I saw myself as unwanted and undesirable. Like, you know, Will Smith, the iconic scene, Fresh Prince, why he don't want me, man. That, yeah. that is like, I every time I get emotional looking at it because I lived it and I get it. Um, so, so Father's Day carries with it some grief, um, but Father's Day has also been redemptive. Mm. Um, just today, I was cutting my son's hair and, you know, he stopped and he looked, turned and he looked at me and he said, Dad, you're the best dad. Ugh. And he just went back to doing what he was doing. And like... For my son, that's tremendous because not only just hearing it, but it's tremendous because he is a deep and critical thinker and he lives in his head just like me. So before (laughs) it got to his mouth, I know he was thinking and pondering it. And then it came out and to know that he was pondering all the things and considering it all different angles and it still came out means a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my daughter, she she doesn't have to worry about what it means for, you know, to be pursued and loved because she has the example in me, yeah. right? And I'm grateful to be able to, to have that. Um, I'm grateful to be able to embody that. And, and so... Father's Day has been tears, but now I get to experience joy. And I think that's, you know, you're probably going to go here, but I think that's kind of a model for even how I come to Juneteenth. Mm, Like in both, in both aspects, it is complex. Like I arrived to it and yes, there is some sense of joy Mm -hmm. and we stand on the shoulders of giants and we get to embody all of that as black people. Um, 
But there's also the sense in which Juneteenth shouldn't have had to exist. Yeah. You know, like it shouldn't have had to be what it is. And yet today, at the time of this recording, we are still fighting to be free, although we have been given the title of free people. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, just because you've been called father doesn't mean you necessarily walk in it. And just because you've been called free doesn't mean you still have to fight for it. And so for me, I get to live in both of those spaces and one kind of feeds the other. Yeah. With Juneteenth and Father's Day happening on the same day, this is a lot of mental and emotional information for a lot of people right now. And that duality that you mentioned, those feelings on both sides, like when people say happy Juneteenth, I can't, it's hard for me to say it back. Because in my mind, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's Juneteenth, but I'm, I'm, and I want us to come together in joy. And I want us to come together in acknowledgement and celebration for what is. But I also, when I put on my own critical thinking hat and I'm like, but for me, for me, yeah, it's really hard for me to just sit in the happy part. I need to spend some time reflecting yeah. on why we are really talking about this and what this really means. So I can't just get hit with the, with the day party right now to celebrate freedom. (laughs) Right. It's, it's, it's so interesting because I, I, people have said that to me. They've sent me things. Well-meaning white people have sent me things Um, (laughs) and I'm just like, this is a very loaded day. And, and while I get those who desire to celebrate and and walk in joy and all of those things, for me, it's a day of reflection. Mm. For me, it's a day of strategizing, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Am I, when we talk about, for example, community, yeah. right? And we we glean from, you know, bell hooks and, MLK and so many people who have written and and talked and thought extensively about community, my question becomes, are we living it, right? Like, am I in just my sphere? And I'm, I don't mean, you know, let me talk about all Black people in America because, you know, we're not a monolith, right? Mm-hmm. But for me in my sphere, am I walking in community? Are the people around me holding me accountable for walking in what that truly means? Am I making your problem my problem? Right? Mm-hmm. Am I am I loving you enough to and for me, <laughs> this means I don't necessarily have to agree with everything that you think right. in order for me to walk in community with you. That defeats the purpose. And so I'm asking myself deep reflective questions about you know, am I embodying those things? Do I say that I want to be an advocate and 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 I want to center the voices of Black women? Do Black women feel that? Mm. Do they feel that from me? Is that palpable and yeah. how I conduct myself, yeah. right? And if I don't ask those myself those questions, I'm going to lead with the assumption that I am because, right? Like yeah. if we don't question, if we don't ask, then we're not growing. It's like, is my intent matching up with the impact I'm actually having? Absolutely. I'm just feeling it up in here, but it's actually not coming out legitimately right. the way I'm thinking I should be doing it, right? Hmm. Which which means 
we have to love people enough not to uh, just assume, right? And 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 push and interrogate and and ask questions and and brace for impact. Like, what is yeah. what's the response going to be? Woo, right? Brace for impact. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, this isn't your first time getting reflective and asking yourself a lot of questions because in my um, as I mind your business. Um, <laughs> I understand that in the beginning of your career as an educator, you had to go through quite a bit of unlearning in how you were approaching yeah. the young people that were in your charge as a as an educator. Would you mind sharing a little bit about the beginning of your career as an educator and the, and the evolution that you had to go through? Yeah, yeah. Uh, every time that I see that cohort of students and I still connect with them to this day, I feel like I have to apologize every time. And this was in Camden, New Jersey. Camden, yes. So I started in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, the poorest, once voted the poorest, most dangerous city to live in. I lived in Jersey. Um, I've heard the tales, man. Yeah. Yeah. It is that. It is everything that, <laughs> that we say it is. Um, and so I walked in with a, what I would not have been able to articulate then but I walked in with a savior complex. Mm. I'm going to help these young people. Um, they need me. They need a, a, a black male role model. Right. And well-intended, poorly executed. Mm. And so when I walked into the classroom, um, you know, you go through your teacher preparation program and they tell you, this is what you're supposed to do or whatever have you. This is the, the curriculum is how you do these things, but they don't really teach you how to teach, how to reach people. So I'm fumbling, stumbling. Like I'm using some things that work, you know, my humor, my ability to relate to people, those things are working. But for me, I walked into the classroom attempting to be what Dr. Emden calls in this book, Ratchetemic, the Oreo. I was trying to be palatably black um, I believed that I had to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way. In other words, I had to have my my blackness, you know, cocooned in this, you know, acceptable means of being white, white norm norms, white speaking, white. I I, I thought that that's who I had to be when mm-hmm. I came to the classroom, and so I I walked in that. I was handed this book. Uh, called Teach Like a Champion. I have termed it Teach Like a White Supremacist because that's what it does. Um, Hello. And and so in the classroom, I thought control. I thought that their means of expression were, you know, I labeled them ghetto and all the things that we, we've been taught to do with Black folks. I embodied all of them. And so the unlearning that I had to do was was one, realizing that no matter how I try to dress up what it means to be black in any sector and the expansiveness that is blackness, it was never going to be acceptable to whiteness. Mm. Whiteness is not set up to accept black or blackness at all. I could not make myself small enough, big enough. Um, I could not make myself um, articulate enough. I could not um, 
perform well enough. I couldn't do any of the things to appeal to whiteness. And so I had to unlearn the ways that my conditioning taught me to be acceptably black, acceptably to whom? Mm -hmm. Acceptably to whiteness and white folk who ascribe to whiteness. And so a really, really hard process of unlearning the things that I've been taught. And mind you, some of those things have been taught from home. Yeah. Um, as means of survival, as means of of just trying to make it in a world that isn't set up for us, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I took all that into the classroom. I had to really go on a deep dive of of unlearning, unpacking, apologizing, realizing that being authentically who I am is enough. And honestly, to this day, I'm still learning. Yeah. I'm still still unpacking the layers in which um, that I attempted to box myself in in hopes that I would be acceptable. Yeah. What did that that work, the unlearning, the unpacking work, if you could retrace your steps and, and remember, what types of things did you do to help yourself with the unlearning process? Yeah. Well, um, part of the reason that for me, I center the voices of black women is because black women taught me the most about what it means to walk authentically in who I am. Mm -hmm. So any chance I get, I shout out Dr. Monique Morris's book, Push Out, um, because in her work, she talks about how um, she uses this great example about, you know, when we look at the unjust murder of Tamir Rice, we talk about it. We talk about how quick it happened and everything like that. You know who was there with him is his sister. Oh, yeah. Like we don't we don't talk about that. She was there too. She was pushed out of the same school that he was, and so they're there in the park trying to make it through the day. And yes, unrighteously, unjustly. Her brother was slain, but she was there too, right? And so we think about the ways in which the experiences, the adultification of Black women, all the things that were happening, I saw it firsthand. So when she wrote the book, it was like she was reading me. And and so then seeing those experiences, seeing the ways in which I, um, I had to unlearn, it put me in a position to... Uh, reflect and refine the things that I thought I believed, right? So reading reading books, centering the voices of people who had the experiences um, that, I, that I needed to learn from. Quite frankly, I was taught Blackness from the white gaze. Yeah. So much of my education, much of, like, you knew... You knew the the greatest hits that they played during Black History Month. You oh, knew MLK, yeah. you knew Rosa Parks, <laughs> you knew maybe a, a cursory mention of Malcolm X, right? But he was always the radical yeah. that you didn't want to listen to and all the things, right? So I, that's how I viewed myself. Spicy, they might give you a little Shirley Chisholm. Like, ooh, hold right. on. Right, right. A little dash, <laughs> nothing too much, right? Um. And, and we only going to get them 28 days, right? That's that's all that's going to happen. And so that's that's how I saw myself. The only time that I ever saw a black person outside of that was 
Crispus Attucks, Revolutionary War, and mm-hmm. what happened to him? He just got shot. Yeah. You know? And so for me, it was a lot of reclaiming of my own history, understanding who and whose I am. What lineage do I come from, right? Um, which is huge for me, particularly because I've shared this before, but, you know, uh, I'm adopted. So the parents that I speak of are my adoptive parents. And like my adoptive father chose not to not to mm-hmm. walk with me and, and, and love me and things like that. But I also have biological parents and I don't know who they are. Wow. Like my mom left me on a doorstep. Mm. Um, that's the reason I know I was born February 13th is because she left me there. And so you deal with that type of abandonment. You're searching for what it means to be valued and to be esteemed. And you're taught very early. If you ascribe to the values of whiteness, people in power will give you a pat on the back. And that's what I wanted. So I conditioned myself to receive the praise because I was walking from a deficit. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. But what do you do when the, the, the praise you want is also poison to your system? Right. Like, so the praise that I'm looking for continuously came from people who didn't value me and who I authentically could be. They valued what I could produce and what I meant to them and their corporation, their business and their bottom line. And so getting in touch with books, getting in touch with people, like really getting in touch with people, not not looking at like, cause I used to be the person that would see a group of people on the corner and I'd be afraid or walk to the other side or want to avoid. I assumed guilt mm. on the part of people who look like me. And I had to really do deep dive and working through no, but like they're just hanging out. Yeah. Like, do you hear the joy in their voices? Like they just, they're having a good time. Right. And so, um, Definitely reading books, getting in touch with people, questioning, really deeply questioning. Why is it that I believe that? Yeah. Who taught me that? Who said that? Right. Um, And through that reflection, it put me on a journey um, of of finding more authors, finding more (laughs) people, and then doing more questioning. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Everything I learn makes me more curious. Yes. And it should. It should put us in a position where we are truly, um, you know, doubting our doubts and questioning things and pushing ourselves in better positions to to love better. Um, And that's that's ultimately what what happened for me. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing so much of of what you've been through and your process. I I feel you the, the history piece. It's, it's humbling and it's difficult once you start reading and realizing like, wait, all of this was left out. All of the, it feels like overwhelming, but it really is essential for getting that grounding in something more healthy. Um, yeah. All right. It's time for a quick break because I need to talk to the people who might want to book me. So listen, if you are in the position of curating powerful learning experiences and you like what you're learning here on You Better, let's take this thing to the next level. 
Email me today to book me for your next event or broadcast where personal growth or activating care for different communities and cultures are on the agenda. I am ready to moderate meaningful conversations, deliver insightful interviews, lead learning circles, or to speak about how we can be better to ourselves and others. Tap into my enthusiasm for encouraging us to love and celebrate the richness of our varied experiences. Email me today at info at keishagarrison.co. And don't get it mixed up. That's an I before E in that Keisha, and that is .co at the end. Info at keishagarrison.co. I'll be looking out for your message. Now let's get back to the show. For today, where you are now, as a person who is passionate about inspiring as many folks to be about this life of liberation, how do you do that work now? Um, to accurately tell that story, I'm going to go back a couple years. Go on back. Take us back, Bobby. <laughs> Way back, back <laughs> in the time. Um, <laughs> so I'm an educator. I've been a middle school educator. Shout out to everybody who stuck it out in middle school. Um, middle school be rough. <laughs> but it, yes, Lord. Um, and I've been so for the last 12 years. And... I was in, so I still teach in Trenton, New Jersey. I was in the charter school at the time. I was looking at, we used to use a system uh, called paychecks. And every child would get a check, you know, every week. $50 was was what you got at the beginning of the week. And you lost money for things that you did that were against these arbitrary standards or whatever. And then you gain money if... You did these things that, you know, they were looking for. And so it was kind of a, a behavioral management system. And the paycheck would go home to the parents. The parents would read it, have to sign off on it and send it back. So I got to asking questions. Who's getting the most deductions in this building? How are they getting these deductions? So I just went to the system that's open to everybody. I looked at the data. And I found out that although black people in the building where 12% of the population of student population was black. They accounted for 30% of the deductions. Mm. How's that possible? Right? So I organized the data because people got questions. I gave them the raw data so they could see it, but I organized it so people didn't have questions. And then I presented it to the leadership at the time. And every single time I brought up something that contributed to this, I was always told, can we talk about it later? Mm. Can we talk about it offline? Can we come back to that? Can we circle back? Oh, that was a big one. Can we circle back? I mean, that magical circle. I'm still looking for that circle, you know? It's somewhere over I'm there still, where later is. It's <laughs> somewhere. Somewhere. You know, it's always tomorrow, right? Never today. And so I just got to be really, really frustrated with this process of trying to appeal to people who did not have my people's best interest at heart. And so from there, I started my educational consulting firm, Liberation Lab. For me, I, I named it that because I always see myself in this work as a mad scientist. I don't want to give out what I haven't tried and conducted on myself first. Right. And so. When I talk about something, it is because I firmly believe, have done the research, and seen it work. 
And so when I tr- when I give it out, it's because I've conducted the experiment first, right? And I want other people to see liberation is that you mm. can't give out what you don't have. Mm. So let us d- do the work of liberation so that we can be the work for others, right? And so I've been doing that work for the last uh, two years now. Um, officially, unofficially, I've been doing it for the last 10. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've been seeing... I've seen great things happen in schools with leaders who are now questioning, wanting to do uh, the work necessary to ensure that our black and brown children have um, the future necessary, right? And I say it like this, like the, the cookie cutter approach to education is leaving our school leaders, especially after this year, and our teachers exhausted, Yeah. right? We're overwhelmed. We're run down. That's why you see this great resignation that we're seeing with so many teachers leaving. And part of it is we've we've crafted this narrative that teachers are heroes. Hmm. And I get it. I get it. I, I get where it comes from. Um, but I said this recently in the video and that I put out. And for me, it's not that we are heroes. It's that it's that we are really the trainers of superheroes. Mm-hmm. Right. When we begin to see the power that can happen when we um, put young people in the positions where their genius can flourish. Right. When when we do that, it is like watching Hercules. If you ever seen the Disney movie Hercules, Hercules is like out of he's down on his luck. He's out of it. He's, get, he's told like, listen, you really want to be who you want to be. Go ahead and go see my boy, Phil. And Phil's like this unassuming short, rude teacher. He's like, nah, I don't know what you what you're what you're doing. Fast forward the story, it's only through Phil's guidance that Hercules becomes the hero that he knew he could be or mm. that he wanted to be. And that's the role of teaching. Yeah. Like what if we gave every single teacher the the the, the power, the cultural responsive tools necessary to lead black and brown young people to flourish in their schools? Like what if it's that dream that keeps me going, um, and it is that dream that I work to. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've seen a lot of great things happen, and we're going to keep pushing this thing because I think this work is necessary and needed. Yeah. I think that the the hero medal that we give to teachers, I think it's yeah. um, it's a tool of the story, like the, the system that needs people to keep worshiping self-sacrifice. That's good so that they will continue to do things that we're not rewarding them for. So if we continue to keep everyone cheering for the heroes, like look at how they keep pushing with so little. They're so admirable. They're so noble. They do this. It's not for the money. It's for the love of the kids. And that's how the system continues to justify paying teachers in Scooby snacks and pats on the back without Mm -hmm. real support. And the broader community is so busy clapping for the teachers. And I always tell people, right. like, stop clapping and help because we, the people, have to process the fact that this hero medal and yeah. them Scooby snacks, that's yeah. that's not going to keep teachers in the classroom, especially with the more things we keep piling on them to take on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's... it's... <sighs> The, the educational system as we know it would shut down if teachers decided to not put more on their plates than they were 
that is in their job description. Yeah. Like education thrives on teachers going above and beyond because of the passion that we have Mm -hmm. for young people. And while it is noble, you know, I, I say this all the time when we talk about funding, people say, well, you know, we need adequately funded schools. I agree. We do. Um, when you look at where money goes, where you get for each kid and the multipliers that happen once that kid is uh, free or reduced lunch, the multipliers that happen when that kid is diagnosed with an, um, a learning uh, disability or is neurodivergent, let me say it better that way. Um, when we look at when they're given an IEP or a 504, all of those things give the, the district more money. But when you study where the money goes, it's literally sitting in the district office because there's six, seven people making six figures. And in my experience, they, they're not on the ground doing all the work that's necessary to, to move this thing forward. And so I'm not saying don't pay people. I'm saying pay people who are going to do the work. Yeah. Right. And so um, to your point, the hero motif will keep people running on this treadmill of performance and not getting anywhere and wondering why they're exhausted. Right. And so my hope is that we would get off the treadmill and realize, no, but like we need to be mobilizing young people who are prepared to take this world that they are inheriting to a better place. They're the heroes. They're the heroes that are going to go out and change things. And, and here's the other thing. When you view a child as the hero, when you view them as the per- people who will go out, one, you believe better. When you believe better, right, that changes how you act. That changes what you do. That changes how you uh, conduct yourself around the person that you deem as the hero. Yeah. Right? And so my hope is that that through changing that narrative, we can change the way we actually go about the business of education so that more young people are put in a position where they can flourish. Yeah. And you're um, less likely to try to break them out of who they are and make yes. them into something else. I, I I get firsthand practice every day with my daughter. My my daughter is undaunted. She is persistent. She is when she wants something, she's going to go after it. And, and it is more convenient for me as a father to try to squelch temper or dissuade her from doing said thing. Right. But she is going to need that in a world that is going to tell her that as a woman, she should sit down, shut up and do nothing or, or to be the gratification for some man who will not value her. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I'm always trying to be a good steward over that, that quality that she has because she is going to need to be undaunted, to be relentless, to go after what it is that she wants and to argue it down, right? What if we had that same mentality in schools? That kid that's always speaking up, that's always calling out, they're a clear communicator. Let's treat them as such. Now, we can help them with how to do that and what that looks like, but that's a skill that they need to hone in and master, right? The 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 child that has no problem telling you that they don't like you, <laughs> you're, you're my barometer. You're going to tell me what's real. You're going to be the person that's going to give me real feedback. Can I? Can you please, can you be the person that lets me know if I'm missing it, 
somebody mm. in this classroom is missing it right now and they're not getting it, can you be that person that lets me know? Because I know you're brave enough and you're honest enough to tell me the truth. Right? The the kid that is always cracking jokes. One, that humor, we need that because we need to have joy in the classroom. But two, you're only funny if you know your audience. So you know how to study people. Help me get to know this classroom the way I need to. Mm. Right? That that's that's how we leverage. That's how you leverage the hero. Wow. Right? I play my position. Y'all the experts. Let me help y'all get to where you want to be. Um sadly in our classrooms, we've been told that we're the expert, that our children come to us empty, and then we have to pour in all the information, the things that they have. They don't have any expertise. We're supposed to give it to them. And that's so far from the truth. And it is leaving particularly black and brown kids in the most vulnerable state because they don't have the power to do anything about it because of the way the system is set up. Yeah. There we go back to that intent and the impact. You coming in intending to teach and lead and the impact is hurt, harm, kids feeling disillusioned. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's not even at worst, at worst than entering into some disciplinary situation that can impact them long term. I, I was literally just reading an article today from um, NJ.com article. And there are schools who are taking time out to a whole new level. I don't know if you've heard about this. I have not. They have padded rooms where if a child is having an episode, uh, maybe they're having a violent episode or maybe they're putting hands or maybe they just they can't self-regulate is really the thing and because that child can't self-regulate or they have a learning disability or they're black or they're brown um, and they can't be controlled in the way you want we're going to put them into this timeout corner this padded room wow. and we're going to close the door and keep them in there like literal pictures and footage of this and this is like a growing practice they wrote a bill where this is this can happen and parents don't necessarily know about it in districts (laughs) and then two what do you think happens when you give people the power to put out those who they can't control or don't like right or who they have biases against Mm -hmm. black people brown people the lgbtq plus community and those with disabilities all the vulnerable folk. We will put them out. Let's put them in the room. Put them in the room. And so I think that is a statement about where we are in terms of education. We're always jockeying for more control, um, more power to leverage instead of understanding and leveraging the brilliance that's already existing. We try to forge our own power and control what's there. Mm-hmm. And hence, we're, we're running into trouble, you know? Yeah. You have a, I mean, it's a, it's an inspiring job, but I will also call it stressful. This is Lord. <laughs> it's a stressful, stressful role. You have been on a really intense personal development journey, you know, given the, the life circumstances and stories that you share today. I am curious how you love on yourself. What if I had to ask you, Bobby, how are you loving you? What receipts would you pull out? If I'm being completely honest, I'd probably struggle to find some. Mm -hmm. And not because I am against myself or 
not because I have issues with who I am or things like that. Um, but when you come from a place of, of struggling to matter, you always feel like you have to perform mm -hmm. or you have to produce or you have to be something or do something to matter. Yeah. And so you're always working and never appreciating the work you've done. Like I create something, I build, you know, in a year, two years, going on two years, I create a business that is, a, you know, I never saw myself owning or running a business, but here I am a small business owner doing things for our children. That's something to be celebrated, but here I am thinking about well, what's the next step. Right. And if it's always what's coming, then I can never appreciate what is. And so I'm learning even now presently on this father's day to slow down, look at what is and appreciate to take in snapshots and moments that are going to like, so that moment I brought up about my son is because I intently looked at it for what it was and saw the beauty in him thinking reflecting and then sharing that with me right um my kids they always want to be around me yeah. like always they there is not a corner in this house that i can go to <laughs> that they don't want to be around me and as nagging as that is i think about times where i didn't want to be around my folks mm. right that there's there's love there to the point where they want to be surrounded by it right and so i'm learning to stop and appreciate and look for it to not always be looking for the next thing to define me or to put another notch in my belt or did you see the next thing that i did right and and it's hard can i can i just be real for it's so hard because our world is set up. Social media is set up for the next, the next thing. You know, you make, you know, you create, you have an idea, you get in the creative process, you, you build something, you put it out. It is there. It's shelf life is probably 24, maybe 48 hours if you're lucky. And after that first 48, it's gone. Maybe some other people will catch it later, but it's not, it's not going to, hit and be something that you got to continuously produce yeah and so for me it's unplugging from that system mm -hmm. <laughs> and realizing what am i doing it for who yeah. am i doing it for why am i doing this thing right and so now i post with purpose i'm learning to i i create with purpose so getting back to your question for me Loving myself looks like slowing down and appreciating. Mm -hmm. Loving myself means defining myself outside of what I can work or produce because that's how I define myself for so long. Yeah. Loving myself means spending time with things that, you know, that I just enjoy. It Basketball, watching the finals, watching, right, like sports, those things bring me joy and help me to appreciate the depths of who I am. Um, but I think, and even here recently, I'm still learning, still getting to, to that place of, of freedom in this space, but I'm learning that loving me looks like saying no. Mm -hmm. 
I can't be there. I can't do that thing. I don't have I, I don't have the bandwidth for that. And I'm consistently afraid of letting people down because I've defined myself by being there for everyone else. Right? Are you familiar with the Enneagram? Yeah. So I'm a quintessential two. I'm a, I think I'm a, what am I? I think I'm a two. I'm a two wing three, whatever that means. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a two. So, so for those who may be listening later, the Enneagram is like <laughs> yes. nine numbers. Let's break it down. The, <laughs> the nine numbers are all per- personality traits that we all possess, but you might have a more dominant one, which is why you take the, the Enneagram to find out what that is. And for me, I'm a, my dominant personality trait is a two. You get a numerical system and the two is a helper. I get joy from knowing that I have done something for somebody else to help them thrive. When I see that happen, it brings me energy. It brings me joy. It is who I am. But I'm also a two wing one, which is like the moral perfectionist. I Mm. struggle hard when I make a mistake. Struggle. Um, And so I'm, I'm learning to embrace my imperfections. That's what love looks like for me. Yes. Man. Yes. I'm so happy to hear how you started answering that and where you ended yeah. up able to yeah. see where it's showing up for you. Yeah. And I especially love that you allowed yourself to soak in that moment with your son as a man yeah. who thought so long about needing, you know, trying to why don't I matter? I need to like, can you just think about how deeply you matter to him in that moment where he thought, thought through it and said, you do. You, you are the best dad. Yeah. Best dad. You matter to that young man and you matter to your community. You poured a lot into community. And this isn't usually the turn that I take at the end of these conversations, but (laughs) I feel, I feel like telling you, that we hear your voice, you do matter. And the impact that you are having, it is coming out in the way that you intend, at least to me. You are a newer Mm. person in my consciousness, but in a very short amount of time, you have definitely shown yourself as a person who shows up the way he says he's trying to show up. And that's in the light Mm. and behind the scenes where, where it's not always... It's not a in the public square. Let me show everybody what I'm like. You right. you show up with support and encouragement, yeah. Just because that's your spirit, and so I just want you to know that your energy is is landing, and you do matter. I, I truly truly appreciate that. It means it means the world to hear um, on multiple levels, right? I think. As someone who has struggled to find what it means to to be a man and do and and did that in so many toxic ways, right? I I thought I had to perform athletically, so I gave my all to basketball. I thought I had uh, to perform financially, so I tried to do as much as I could to make as much money, and did that from a deficit. Um, and and re- regrettably, I. I I objectified and thought I had to perform sexually for me that, that I, I did those things and ran out of options for what it truly meant to be a man. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways 
that is redemptive for me is truly seeing, leading, and loving my sisters as sisters. Like, do you need anything from me? Can I, can I help you? Can I amplify without you asking? Like, if you got something out there, I want to know about it so I can put it out there to more people, right? Like, and so to hear that uh, from someone who I highly respect, um, who, you know, I continuously watch for your insights where and whenever there's a post coming up, you know, I hit that little notification bell. So when it comes <laughs> up, it tells me, right? Like I, and as someone who I know is striving to do this from an authentic place, who's not out here just performing, right? Like it means the world to hear like, no, it's resonating. I do feel it. It is mattering. It, it, it does do what, what you're saying it's, it's supposed to do. And so um, thank you for that. It's something I've definitely going to hold dear and take with me because um, I don't think we do this enough. I don't think we let people know. That's true. And, and too often it's, you know, we tell people when they're in front of us in the casket versus letting them know when they're breathing in front of us. And so thank you. Those are words I'm going to treasure. Yeah. Same. Even in your, yeah. even in your acceptance and thanks, I got a lot out of even hearing you speak of me in that way. So I appreciate you so much. And I usually ask people, what's, how do you intend to, to you better in the future? But I feel like you just gave me a whole bunch Mm. <laughs> I, 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 if I could take a stab at it, go for it. How, how do you, how does you better look going forward? I think that for me, it is, it is self, right? Then, then it's, those are my immediate sphere and then it's community, right? And so what I mean by that is for me, it is loving, again, beyond my imperfections and not defining myself based upon, you know, this mythical place called perfect that does not exist, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, it is, it is looking, and, and again, that frees me to love others better, right? The beauty is, because I see it in my son. My son is me, but an introvert. <laughs> and and he gets down on himself when he doesn't get it the first time. He expects me to be disappointed. And I'm like, there's nothing that you can do to make me love you any less. And I need you to, I tell him all the time, right? Um, and so for me, it's loving him it's loving my daughter who she's a ball of energy. She literally came in here four times after I told her not to come in. <laughs> she's like, right? there's that no corner her. you can go to dad. Nothing you can do. Um, but loving her means to, to continuously cultivate those gifts and talents for what they are, those strengths, right? Loving, loving my bride. You know, she is, you know, extremely talented, um, extremely thoughtful and sometimes gets down on herself because what does the world do to women, particularly black women tells y'all to shrink. Right. And so I'm always telling her, no, be louder, be bolder. Right. And I'll be your biggest cheerleader. Like let's do it. Right. But I want that for the community. I want that for 
how we conduct ourselves. Like, I don't want us to sit out here and perform and to post and to share for the appeasement of eyes that aren't watching. I want us to do that for us. Like, like once we do that, whoever else comes in is a bonus. And so I hope that what it means for us is, is that we can really embody true community and do it so that it, it literally turns the world upside down. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Morgan. Thank you for joining me here on You Better. It's been an honor, truly. All right, it is time for a quick break. Y'all, let's talk about books. You know how at the end of every episode, I give you some resources and often those resources are great books that I think would really pair well with the things that we're learning and doing here on You Better. So for that reason, the podcast is affiliated with bookshop.org. Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. So whenever you head over to bookshop.org slash shop slash you better and purchase my recommendations, you are not only supporting your own self-love and self-discovery journey, you are also helping to keep local bookstores as an integral part of our culture and communities. And on top of that, you are also financially supporting the production of You Better. Again, that's bookshop.org slash shop slash you better. Head over there to get shopping. Okay, now let's get back to the show. I'm so happy that Bobby was able to join me on You Better. What I'm reflecting on after this episode are these things. One, I love that full circle moment of Bobby becoming such a devoted father. He took his pain and chose not to pass it on. Instead, he chose to become the person he needed when he was a child. That is key because we do have a choice. I have asked this in past reflections and I will do it again right now. What did you decide to do with your pain? It's a big question. Also, the idea of understanding if you are taking a slow poison of acceptance in a space that you have been taught to value that does not value you. That is a doozy. Because you have to first be willing to accept the truth that you are actually not happy where you quote unquote should be. Then you must begin that process of unlearning and letting the new things you learn bring you more questions to help you see even more of the picture. The very thing that makes you super uncomfortable in this situation is likely your clue as to where your work is to learn more about what you've been taught. And once you learn and grow and heal, then you can go out into the world differently and having a more positive impact on others in your community who may be struggling with something similar. So many gems. I will link to the books that Bobby mentioned in this episode, as well as to the information about the quiet rooms and the Enneagram. I will also share books that I think can help you with the learning journey I mentioned at the top of the episode, because when it comes to white supremacy, you have to be mindful that you are not taking in definitions and guidance from people who aren't broaching the topic with any guts. Okay. All right, friends. Now with that, I hope you have learned something today that will help you to you better. See you next week.
Thanks so much for tuning in. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you found value in this episode, share it with a loved one. That's the main way we keep the show going and growing. And please leave a rating and a review for me. Let me know what's on your mind. All right. I'll see you next week.